Hey, welcome, welcome everybody to another Johnson, edition of Let's Talk About It. This is Susan Johnson, guest, and my co-host Jennifer Bryan is off because me he is for running Brian for Anderson, office. And, and we're just so, talking about some of the recent said, changes. We're still the continuing. The let's talk about it, and we have a wonderful guest this evening. This is Brian Anderson, and he is the legislative director for Council for Me. And they've been doing a huge amount of work trying to make sure that prison guards are safe and also making sure the people who are incarcerated are being treated fairly and have the balance that we're trying to create in our system so that we have a situation where our prison guards are safe and our prisoners are going to be in a situation where they're going to be rehabilitated. Thank you, Brian, for being here with us today. And so let's just talk a little bit more requirements that have been ordered by the court. So these are the things that we'll be discussing today, and I'm very, very honored to have uh, Brian Anderson that. here with us on the show. Um, Welcome to the show, as you Brian. you know, corrections officers and I don't represent corrections officers. And that's almost 20 years younger than the average citizen. Good folks. And it's, yes, they are. And in fact, we have uh, wonderful people, even uh, and, uh, who uh, have been corrections officers and now serve in the legislature. Our uh, good friend and uh, Senate Chair of Appropriations, uh, correction uh, correction, staff, former corrections officer, Hyper, and she understands a lot of these uh, issues. And uh, uh, Senator Austin uh, understands a lot of the issues, and she uh, and agrees that behavioral health is a real issue and with incarcerated people. And uh, so, with those kinds of things, I know that. There have been a number of things that I would like you to start from the beginning and let's and talk about what legislation we passed last time that was needed by the governor and then some negotiations occurred. Uh, that gave uh, prisoners and less time and, uh, and uh, in the cell, gave them more time outside of the cell, gave less time uh, for solitary confinement, and uh, all of those can, things can which many people uh, feel that maybe there's not enough adequate staffing perhaps to actually protect the guards the the who statute. are there now with more I, I uh, additional time in the prisons uh, for people to be out. The, the, the very themselves. rigid test in the statute. Uh, so tell, uh, tell us a little bit about that. I can give you right, a great one example with the police. Going on right now, one of our Derby particular concerns, our union, our, it's our whole union, but particularly our gun members, yeah. who was shooting at has been a, a measurable escalation. Uh, he he shot the man, which is very sad. Uh, that was been in the justified media What's uh, been the last attorney is the uh, clear uh, incident. So after our officer shot the man, assaults, he ran up and gave him life saving similar fashion. And literally, as I understand, uh, it had a stick fingers in the leg that was passed uh, of this uh, man, much of which was bleeding out. Our, our folks after were that, with. our office experienced really mental health has posed a challenge and, and applied and was and, called and made conditions under the current statute and that, that is doesn't qualify because it uh, doesn't involve a death. fairly big increase in serious time. mutilation. And the, the problem and, and with that that's is it. that the facilities you know, are that, not well, really in a situation where for having lots of inmates milling out on life savings. They, I'm they saying that they, the workers' compensation is only there to make money for they, the insurance in industry. And I've been fighting workers' compensation uh, for the last several years. And if you don't think control, that fixing somebody who's got a shot so and is having a leg that needs a 
finger uh, put in it to stop it from bleeding uh, to give you a uh, is instance, not serious mutilation. I don't know what it is. And I'd love to see to the person who denied that claim because it is something that is completely outrageous. And I would say that we have a horrible, 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 horrible workers' compensation system in the state because of a 2005 case that said that there is no way that you can challenge the workers' compensation industry when they do something that is is, at the same uh, time, uh, that is outside the scope of what a normal space. insurance company would so that, do with a particular that is a real challenge. So they that sounds to me. Let me just interrupt you there for a second. Just claim to kind act of in the fully state because of the Supreme Court case, uh, and uh, that happened what back it was in 2005. I've been trying to address it for occurred. years, and, what and it is the insurance now, industry uh, is the most powerful industry in our country. And they have blocked it, blocked it, blocked it. I'm thrilled that we were able to get the PTSD statute in there. And now, uh, having and a situation where this claim a, uh, is denied, a decision. I don't well, know where, being where the process one, is, one but the this, this officer should have been well. granted. Uh, that is, well, that is it, when you're in a gunfight, the person's injured, so and you're that, stopping him from bleeding. <laughs> that, to me, is worthy of uh, somebody getting enough time to address the post-traumatic stress disorder that uh, arose gang, from that particular circumstance. So I think that some of that has to do with a bad situation and, we and have in Connecticut because of that Supreme Court case. And uh, until it, we get that fixed, these kinds of things will occur. Uh, and Susan, you was really sort of like, like the legislature about this kind of thing. And our so really uh, staff was supposed to stay on top. A representative of Christine Conley. Who's it on top, too? The other yep. thing uh, that the Susan is, is uh, sometimes within... I've been working on it. You'll have the power. <laughs> I've been on it for like I think about seven and, years and now, and I didn't do a lot with it during COVID because I knew that the labor committee had had to really work on making sure people were treated properly time, if they're in a work environment and getting COVID. And of course, initially the bar association came out thinking that people who got COVID in a work environment, particularly in the initial uh, stages, were uh, the you know the protective so coverings to know were available uh, would have gotten but the Lo and behold, they did not, uh, that, that and they were again the insurance like industry they, they took away any options for people in these circumstances. Uh, which so they can get fired this for. workers workers compensation uh, pro program in the state the leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, sure, really and that's uh, very that's very very uh, difficult uh, when you look at right. the circumstances. It yeah, seems it, to me it, that it the prison guards in some ways need to be almost therapists. I had a worker. I actually got myself a uh, work understanding study group. of uh, <laughs> and uh, then COVID hit because I came back with the recommendations to continue uh, it, and lots of people uh, wanted to continue it. So I had, I had a workers' comp task force. And, uh, I had lawyers from on both sides. I, kind of I had uh, all the uh, commissioners, the designees on these issues uh, come and give Good testimony. And, and I, I have I got together about from the old days when six, I think, or so meetings. I have tapes of everything that occurred, and uh, the uh, insurance industry is, is sitting on top of all uh, this stuff, and the, and the stuff people have to go through to get the workers' compensation uh, uh, 
claims through the system that were out there. It's just a spider's web of appeals that the insurance industry uh, has. The best that kind of leaves out I've the person who's injured. With, and, and our big union, which represents yeah, more than corrections, it's staff. amazing. And, our retired you know, insurance who come to work for the union, the government people, salary, better at talking towards that and doing something, destructive, something reckless. I believe, yeah. I think that's I part of what keeps the lid executive ed on correctional institutions where seven million dollars a year. These they, facilities are run understaffed, yep. which is considerably smaller. Uh, the state tries very hard to cut down on options. Any overtime tens of millions. So and that for an officer like the one I described, posts uh, to be turned down. Filled. Basically, for financial and, uh, reasons, there are a couple of different Buy types of posts. There, there are mandatory posts where themselves direction staff must. It, it's just so high those posts for, for a bare minimum level of safety. Yes, it does. Or file another, another that are piece of legislation to stop it. <laughs> but the only way that we're going to be able to do this is if we get groups of, of people together. And there's so few people that understand the impact not, of a bad worker Sometimes it gets confused with hiring more officers. On. And when you try there's to explain it, it's just like all the other health care industry issues that I'm faced with trying to fix what the state is spider web of all types Doing of regulations and interactions. It's being and so they are there taking the us, uh, they're having our lunch over and over again. But we want to get back to your work on, the, um, on what we're going to do so to the kind where we are right now, leave the prison system escalation and become citizens that work that and get a job and have good assault life. Inmates, it would help to have it's all the posts filled. And, uh, and, and, of course, there's an increased cost to that. Our officers but I, that, the have cost advocated. We, of that compared to the cost of injury of inmates and staff, it's, I, I think it's control small highly assault of inmates. Now, have you, our, have our a couple, that brings to mind a couple of questions. Uh, one is the seems more to be uh, for the known more to uh, the prison guards so they're and not the, just milling uh, around in the hallways the, uh, administrators. at its cell time. Who the people are that cause those problems, and they may have the, you know, it may be more mental illness or maybe other things that you know are not mental illness, but are something that are creating maybe someone who is more of a control person with the other inmates because they have a better capacity to manipulate them and work with them and that sort of thing. So they create, like you said, gangs and that sort of thing. Is there a way where they can be moved into an area where the people who are the most aggressive and controlling these issues uh, to in a check a and send area, it to my girlfriend, uh, and if that doesn't a section happen, of the prison I will beat or somewhere else that uh, uh, would those are the kind of things uh, that can them, happen when uh, you don't, you know, maybe have staff to really you know, being able, able to get ready to leave the prison to find out what's going on. Now, it's very dangerous for an inmate. I'm an optimist, and uh, I think there's a got to be a way to do it because obviously it's found out they're labeled as such. They can. Legislation really has get hurt, so it's, it's created a, a challenging environment. And that if an inmate was and and uh, assaulted, part of, part of had a series of making it less challenging. Of, uh, having those posts filled, having more sanctions officers that you can place on, on the scene, and rewards, especially if you can give the inmates like for right better behavior, assaults are way up. 
God we, willing, that will had administrative segregation to get those posts. Where an inmate who was well, yeah, so the other part, I mean, I'm looking at some of the things that you from indicated else. would be good, and I'm and, thinking and put instead of wandering the halls, why aren't they put in classrooms where you have uh, opportunities got for better, additional educational opportunities so they wouldn't be able to come out of the cell unless they went to a class. And that was a I mean, one of the things that was a great thing that Wally Lamb used to do is he used to go to the women's prison and provide exercises and writing exercises so that they would be able to talk about their experiences and write books about their experiences. So that was a great thing that he did for a long time. And again, I think that if we had prison guards who could maybe teach things about behavioral health, they could teach things about making sure they get their GED, Many I'll prisoners, my understanding is they don't have a high school diploma. I'll come back so if we make sure they get the high school diploma and then get some training um, and uh, some so some let me kind of it right there because when they get out they, of prison uh, they can uh, actually we work go back to, to go, this is just general uh, to the homeless shelter uh, or over to the riverbank here in Willamette. You know, uh, you know, we need to make sure that they have a place to go. Area like we need to make sure they have something area. to do when they get out. Um, and we need to make sure that, that the ones that I my understanding from my time and appropriation well, looking at these issues um, and is that, that um, more behavioral you know, issues, we need to make sure that they have uh, all the things they need to, be, to, to, to start a life, a place to live, area. instead so of just being I was dropped off on the street. And so the ones that get off for good time, they usually have a place to go in a halfway house. The ones who they are more difficult and have to do the entire time and don't get out for good behavior are the ones who need the most help, a group probably. That is more difficult so, to manage, but yet they're the ones that are, are so left off on the street. Institution with, so uh, it's, it's, with these systems really need to be looked at and really uh, given serious attention. I raised these things with the commissioner, kind of uh, the prisoners, uh, well, and I say, what are we doing? And it's the same answer. This whole discussion of solitary confinement, it's because we know when not reflected at I think the advocates overstate well enough to Connecticut live on. hasn't had anything resistant. They're almost inevitable. Solitary confinement for decades. Right. And, um, and it, administrative segregation was never solitary you know, you, confinement. You, you, you go back to Administrative Aristotle, segregation, it means to get 200 years of poverty. It was constant crime and revolution. The day and, and you by, certainly see it with uh, this population. If, if mental health staff, uh-huh. By uh, the outcomes in the seedums, they have no check on housing to go to. So this this vision no of jobs solitary confinement where someone is uh, it's locked away to disaster. Uh, be in a dark room. Yes, it is. That, and you don't have to go that far back when you go back after World War II. Uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, we know happened uh, with World War II was the fact that uh, there was a problem with the stock market crash that impacted the economy in the world. And that's what gave Hitler his chance to go and promote fascism all throughout Europe. But what had happened is, you know, he had taken over, and uh, they hadn't had a chance to actually show the good work that had actually happened in Germany. and uh, um, and he was able to build a big enough coalition way. to start the fascism. We, we did so have a place. 
where that's, uh, it's all about the economy. It's about making like sure people that. have jobs. Joe that's why I have Northern. to say uh, uh, the, shut the current president uh, bringing back I don't our manufacturing to our country is really going to be a game changer for this country, a game changer for people, so they'll have a job when they get out of high school. How big a place is Northern? We do right now with electric boat. We do right now with Pratt Kids can get these jobs, these certifications. We've got free community college time. now. These are the I places where kids have hope now uh, that they didn't I have before. A lot of and uh, a lot of our, lot of our folks at this point in time, uh, you know, have big, big college really debts. But those things are uh, creating debtors, uh, social prisons for people uh, who finish college where and try to get a job that paid off those debts. So we have created a real bad structure um, for the average person in this economy. So and I I'm looking I, at hoping to fix it. Northern had more compassion, making sure we don't uh, create additional poverty and more crime, because it does create crime. People have no no place to go to get a job. Have decried Northern and said, "Susan, you think think of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt?" I didn't think it was like that when I was there. The unemployment there was fascism. Taking care and, of it, uh, a relatively good thing, small number of these families, but as you said, it's a result of and I thought it made uh, increased sense, government spending. The President Biden uh, said, I, I know politics, I can count on it. It's Northern is not going to get real low. Time low. It's probably the lowest. Uh, but there are other things we can do. Uh, I was talking to the Commissioner later today who said, uh, uh, to, to make things normally four percent unemployment or ninety six percent employment is considered in Connecticut. I haven't looked at the latest. So literally, there are no other folks capable of working, incarcerated. Working. We just exceeded that in Connecticut. Uh, now they're heads down. They have just to serve their time. They want to get out. Connecticut, folks are working. Highly assaulted. And the unemployment rate is at three. As you know, we had not just a record low unemployment rate. Yes. About two weeks ago. It is. It's one of the things. Not all. My union killed. This is one of the reasons I called you. Because I see that this is connected to. I appreciate your concern. Over 600 people. I wanted to make sure that we got the and, uh, information out from you because I know how objective you are, and I know that this has been uh, a, uh, the changes that have occurred are they were made officers, in conjunction with uh, the union and the governor, workers, and of course the uh, legislature uh, passing workers, the laws with these changes. Uh, my, my sense is uh, I can see where uh, they were uh, increasing the numbers of staff, though, which I thought would be a mistake if they're going to have more time out. I think you need more staff. If they're going to uh, keep the 50 or 60 integrated with the rest of the group, how is that fair to the rest of the group? And the other thing is, I mean, it's pretty well documented that people with hair trigger tempers have some kind of other brain dysfunction that creates that situation, whether it's post-traumatic stress disorder, and many relatively recently have anyway, but it's a matter of degree. The thing is, is that I think historically, when you take have a neurological difficulty. We had our communities. To they what had extent jobs in the community? The, the kids uh, went to school. Prison system. They uh, might go to college somewhere else, or they might go to college in the community for people that have hair And they'd have a job to go to in the community, or at least That's in that region. Question, Susan, and, and because I'm, of the I'm loss of the manufacturing under the Reagan administration, because he gave tax credits to have the 
it's uh, manufacturing the leave the country. Uh, you know, we for. haven't had that kind of benefit uh, until so now, until ago. money that's been that pumped is, into the economy is, because of COVID to keep us from crashing. And so this is where we are now, but we have to make sure we continue this process because to stop it now is not going to be a good idea. But the money has to come from the feds, and we're going to be looking at a real crisis again in the House uh, and the Congress because Congress doesn't want uh, nice to put certain our, elements our of Congress on the right wing. I don't want to pay the bills. They don't want to help the people. Uh, and I think that's because they're really the trying to gear up for chaos, for fascism, for poverty, to get that army together so, so they, they can come back. eliminate the democracy When they democracy come back, our staff feels like they failed. Well, they're, uh, they wanted to be uh, successful in the outside. Lots of so evidence that if educated become second for more job training for inmates, more education for inmates, yep. more mental health services. Service. Like you said, something uh, you and I have talked in the past about the laws of Norwich uh, Hospital gave such bail tax cuts to rich folks. And followed once by when I was touring with Bush doing the same I thing, I talked to a President Trump doing the same clinician. The rich folks told me effectively she was seeing the same folks that he saw when he worked at Fairfield Hill. Yes. I said, oh, they're very similar. similar. And he said, I, no, no. They're not very similar. They are literally the same 95% tax rate. So but only when we rich folks paid about the ultra-rich paid about 50%. Would the annual income not be much annual income and tax? Those folks in that's the process. That now is down between well, that was nine percent ago zero. That happened, well, that's because uh, nobody and, and, and they, they don't have an income tax anymore no because the very ultra rich don't. Well, this have is uh, this is something uh, we're going to take right. a break now. Uh, so you can't Brian tax their income, uh, and that's one of the things that we haven't been able to make a adjustment. If you look at how we did our state income tax, we eliminated the. We're discussing today the Changes the short-term capital gains by from 15 percent to 4 percent, and shifted the cost to the people and also, in, the, in the state uh, income tax. We will get into some of the day. consequences of uh, what happens when well, well, that results in prison This what happens to that person? Don't they get more time? Thank you. And that is the cost. Welcome back, everyone. This is Susan Johnson, and I'm here with my very special guest, legislative director for another time, Brian Council. Brian, thank you so much for being with us. Let's talk about it. This, uh, ladies and gentlemen, has been Brian made. Anderson. Uh, with he is to how the Council for our Prisons Director for and of course, uh, Affairs. The objective from and we're very, very pleased to have him to talk about a current event, from the prison uh, how we can manage our prison system to make sure that our prisoners come out and become productive citizens. Thank you so much, Brian. We want to make sure that our corrections officers don't get injured and they get the kind of care that they need if they do get injured. So we appreciate your here. We appreciate your work. We appreciate the work of the corrections life. officers. So that's the objective is that's so what we're working on. And so uh, and thank you, Brian, for, for being here with us today. Uh, and, and so let's and just talk a little bit more. Make our officers safe. Yeah. And thanks for One supporting the contracts to make sure that they have a decent pay On the PTSD bill to help. Correction. Much appreciated. Okay. Um, well, we'll talk again. Know, Have a great week, everybody, and look forward to another edition of Let's Talk About at It. At age 59, which is way too young. And, and that's almost 20 years younger than the average citizen. And it's because the high stress and uh, mental challenges that, that present themselves uh, for correction staff. Uh, correction staff. Die of heart and hyper, um, 
uh, suicide sadly factors in, and our folks were denied PTSD workers' comp until 2019 when you and Kathy Austin, May Flexer voted for the bill, several other legislators really helped us out. And that bill has opened up uh, more ability for correction staff, police officers, and other first responders to get treated. And you were able to pass a bill this year that said any citizen who has experienced great trauma on the job can, can apply for uh, workers' compensation for PTSD, provided they pass uh, the test in the statute. I, I would respectfully ask, and I, I know you've been very helpful with this, that the very rigid test in the statute uh, be made less rigid. Now, I, I can give you a great example with the police officer. One of our Derby police officers um, stopped a, a deranged gunman no. who was shooting at motorists. Uh, he, he shot the man, which is very sad. It was completely justified shooting that, that uh, the state's attorney uh, cleared. But after our officer shot the man, he ran up and gave him life-saving first aid. And literally, as I understand it, had to stick his fingers in the leg wound of, of this man to stop him from bleeding out. After that, our officer experienced mental health trauma and, and applied and was told, under the current statute, that doesn't qualify because it doesn't involve a death, dismemberment, or serious mutilation. And and that's just you know that's well, let me just it's a say situation where an officer has to shoot someone and then literally give hands on life saving. I'm saying that they workers' compensation is only there to make money for the insurance industry, and I've been fighting workers' compensation for the last several years. And if you don't think that fixing somebody who's got a shot and is having a leg that needs a finger put in it to stop it from bleeding uh, is not serious mutilation. I don't know what is. And I'd love to see the person who denied that claim because it is something that is completely outrageous. And I would say that we have a horrible, 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 horrible workers' compensation system in the state because of a 2005 case that said that there is no way that you can challenge the workers' compensation industry when they uh, when they do something that is uh, uh, that is outside the scope of what a normal insurance company would do with a particular injury, so they uh, don't have any way to do an unfair insurances claim act in the state because of a Supreme Court case, and that happened back in 2005. I've been trying to address it for years, and the insurance industry is the most powerful industry in our country, and they have blocked it, blocked it, blocked it. But I'm thrilled that we were able to get the PTSD statute in there. And now uh, having a situation where this claim is denied, that I don't know where, where in the process it is, but this, this officer should have been granted. Uh, that, is, that is when you're in a gunfight, the person's injured, and you're stopping him from bleeding. <laughs> that, that, to me, is worthy of uh, somebody getting enough time to address the post-traumatic stress disorder that uh, arose from that particular circumstance. So I think that some of that has to do with the 
bad situation we have in Connecticut because of that Supreme Court case. And until we get that fixed, these kinds of things will occur. And Susan, you've been really outspoken in the legislature about this kind of thing, so we really appreciate that. You, uh, Representative Christine Conley down out of Groton, yep. uh, Kathy Austin, you, you've been extremely helpful. I've been and, working uh, on it. We, <laughs> We've been on it for, like, I think about seven years now, and I didn't do a lot with it during COVID because I knew that the Labor Committee had had to really work on making sure people were treated properly if they're in a work environment and getting COVID. And, of course, initially the Bar Association came out thinking that people who got COVID in a work environment, particularly in the initial stages where uh, the, the, you know, the protective coverings weren't available, uh, would have gotten the coverage under the Workers' Compensation Act. Lo and behold, they did not. And they were, again, the insurance industry took away any options for people in these circumstances. So this Workers' workers Compensation Program in the state leaves a lot to be desired, and it's really not a very good situation. Right. Yeah, it, it needs work, and you're right. The insurance lobby is so powerful. I had a worker. And, uh, I actually got myself a work study group, <laughs> and uh, then COVID hit because I came back with the recommendations to continue it, and lots of people wanted to continue it. So I had I had a workers' comp uh, task force. I had lawyers from uh, both sides. I had uh, all the uh, commissioners, designees on these issues uh, come and give testimony. I have I got together about uh, six, I think, or so meetings. I have the tapes of everything that occurred, and uh, the insurance industry is is sitting on top of all this stuff, and the and the stuff people have to go through to get the workers' compensation. Uh, claims through the system that we're, there's, it's just a spider's web of appeals that the insurance industry has, and it kind of leaves out the person who's injured. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. And you know the flip it's side of the point is that <laughs> the outrageous salaries that these insurance companies pay them, executives pay themselves. I, I believe the uh, I believe it was the top Executive Edna paid himself something along ninety-seven million dollars a year. They they get salary, which is considerably smaller, but in tens of millions, and then they give themselves stock options that add up to more tens of millions. So, for an officer like the one I described uh, to be turned down, basically for financial reasons, by someone who's paying themselves in the tens of millions. It's just so highly unfair. It makes makes people want to scream. Yes, it does. Or yeah. file another file another piece of legislation to stop them. <laughs> but the only way that we're going to be able to do this is if we get groups of people together. And there's so few people that understand the impact of a bad workers' compensation system that it continues on. And when you try to explain it, it's just like all the other healthcare industry issues that I'm faced with trying to fix. Uh, it's spider web of all types of regulations and interactions, and they are they are taking us uh, they're having our lunch over and over again. But we want to get back to your work 
on the um, on the, what we're going to do to try and make sure people leave the prison system and become citizens that work and get a job and have a good life. Right, and um, like our officers that have advocated, we we need the posts. We need to get control of the highly assaultive inmates. But our, our folks have also spoken up uh, for more education for the inmates, more vocational training. So they're not just milling around in the hallways with the added cell time that, that the recent law changes gave inmates. Um, when folks are just milling around, that's when trouble starts. Oh, and, and the kind of trouble, I, I think the people who would be most relieved by these things would be those 90% of the inmates who are not assaultive, who are just trying to do their time and get out. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we've had cases, Susan, where staff has discovered that a predatory inmate uh, blackmailed a, a, an inmate by saying, your mother needs to put $100 a month in a check and send it to my girlfriend, and if that doesn't happen, I will beat you up. Um, those are the kind of things that can happen when you don't have staff really able to find out what's going on. Now, it's very dangerous for an inmate who's being extorted uh, to report that because, obviously, if it's found out yep. they're labeled a snitch they can uh, really get hurt so it's it's a very challenging environment and uh part part of making it less challenging would be having those posts built having more corrections officers on the scene especially at a time like right now when these assaults are way up God willing, that won't last, but, but part of the answer is to get those posts filled. Well, yes, and the other part, I mean, I'm looking at some of the things that you have indicated would be good, and I'm thinking, instead of wandering the halls, why aren't they put in classrooms? Why don't you have uh, opportunities for additional educational opportunities so they wouldn't be able to come out of the cell unless they went to a class, and that way they're occupied. I mean, one of the things that... It was a great thing that Wally Lamb used to do is he used to go to the women's prison and uh, provide uh, reading, uh, you know, exercises and writing exercises so that they would be able to talk about their experiences and write books about their experiences. So uh, that was a great thing that he did for a long time. Uh, and, again, I think that if we had uh, prison guards who um, – could maybe teach things about behavioral health. They could teach things about making sure they get their uh, GED. Many prisoners, my understanding is, they don't have a high school diploma even. So if we make sure they get the high school diploma and then get some training and uh, some some kind of skills so that when they get out of prison, they can uh, actually work instead of go uh, to the homeless shelter or, or over to the riverbank here in Willimannock, uh, you know, we need to make sure that they have a place to go we need to make sure they have something to do when they get out, and we need to make sure that the ones that I, my understanding from my time on appropriations looking at these issues is that um, 
you know, we need to make sure that they have uh, all the things they need to be to, to to start a life, a place to live, instead of just being dropped off on the street. And so the ones that get off for good time, they usually have a place to go in a halfway house. The ones who are more difficult and have to do the entire time and don't get out for good behavior are the ones who need the most help, probably. So, but yet they're the ones that are are left off on the street. So it's, it's these systems really need to be looked at and really given serious attention. I raise these things with the commissioner, uh, the prisoners, uh, <clears throat> and I say, what are we doing? And it's the same answer. Right, because we we know when inmates get out, if they can't get a job that pays well enough to live on, they're, they're almost inevitably going to go back to crime. Right. And and it, it, it's frustrating because, you know, you, you, you go back to Aristotle, who said 2,300 years ago that poverty is a father of crime and revolution. And, and you certainly see it with this population. If, if they're just uh, let out from prison but have no housing to go to, no job that pays a living wage, uh, it's a recipe for disaster. Yes, it is. And you don't have to go that far back when you go back after World War II. Uh, one of the things that uh, you know we know happened uh, with World War II was the fact that uh, there was a problem with the stock market crash that impacted the economy and the world. And that's what gave Hitler his chance to go and promote fascism all throughout Europe. Uh, but but what had happened is, is you know, he had taken over and uh, they hadn't had a chance to actually show the good work that had actually happened in Germany. Uh, and... Uh, and he was able to build a big enough coalition to start the fascism. So that's uh, it's all about the economy. It's about making sure people have jobs. That's why I have to say uh, the, the current president bringing back our manufacturing to our country is really going to be a game changer for this country, a game changer for people. So they'll have a job when they get out of high school. They'll have a job that, that, that'll pay them. Uh, we do right now with Electric Boat. We do right now with Pratt & Whitney. The kids can get these uh, jobs, these certifications. We've got Free Community College now. These are the places where kids have hope now uh, that they didn't have before. And uh, a lot of our a lot of our folks at this point in time, uh, you know, have big, big college debts. But those things are uh, creating debtors, uh, social prisons for people who finish college and try to get a job that paid off those debts. So we have created a real bad structure for the average person in this economy, and I I'm looking at hoping to fix it, fix it in terms of making sure we don't uh, create additional poverty and more crime, because it does create crime when people have no hope and no place to go to get a job. Susan, you make me think of uh, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's quote that the unemployed are the armies of fascism. And uh, the, one of the good things that I think has happened, like you said, as a result of uh, increased government spending that President Biden has sent, is that the unemployment rate in Connecticut is an all-time low. It's probably the lowest it's been in 60 years. Uh, I was talking to the Commissioner of Labor yesterday who said uh, 
normally 4% unemployment or 96% employment is considered in Connecticut full employment. So literally there are no other folks capable of working, working. We just exceeded that in Connecticut. Now 96.5% of Connecticut folks are working. And uh, the unemployment rate is at 3.5%, which is a record low unemployment rate. It is. It's and, considered and full employment. That's that, right. one of the things that my union is helping with is uh, AFSCME Council for at a big job fair in Hartford yesterday. Over 600 people attended. And uh, basically that job fair featured government jobs, uh, jobs as corrections officers, police officers, uh, DCF workers, uh, MDC, water workers, Department of Transportation, uh, working at UConn in maintenance, uh, all of those jobs pay a decent pay. They provide pension. They provide health care. And there are openings in those jobs. Anybody who's look, look, listening to this and looking for work, should check the Department of Administrative Services website for the state of Connecticut and check the municipalities' websites because there are jobs where you can make a living that are out there, and they're open. Yes, there are, uh, and that's a relatively recent thing. And uh, the the thing is, is that I think historically, when you take a look at how jobs were, we had our communities. They had the jobs in the community. The kids went to school. They uh, might go to college somewhere else, or they might go to college in the community if it's there, and they'd have a job to go to in the community, or at least in that region. And because of the loss of the manufacturing under the Reagan administration, because he gave tax tax credits to have the uh, manufacturing leave the country, uh, you know, we haven't had that kind of benefit until now, until money that's been pumped into the economy because of COVID to keep us from crashing. And so this is where we are now, but we have to make sure we continue this process because to stop it now is not going to be <laughs> not going to be a good idea. But the money has to come from the feds, and we're going to be looking at a real crisis again in the House, uh, in the Congress, because Congress doesn't want to certain elements in Congress on the right wing uh, don't want to pay the bills. They don't want to help the people. And I think that's because they're really trying to gear up for chaos, for fascism, for poverty, to get that army together so that they can eliminate the democracy we have. Well, there's lots of evidence that if a society becomes economically imbalanced, Democracy suffers, yep. and and we're like you said, suffering such a huge imbalance that President Reagan uh, gave such vast tax cuts to rich folks, followed by President George W. Bush doing the same thing, followed by President Trump doing the same thing. The rich folks have effectively shifted their tax burden onto the backs of the middle and uh, lower income folks. Yes, to that's a point right. where. I, I, back during the Eisenhower administration, there was a 95% tax rate, but only rich folks paid about, the ultra-rich paid about 50% mm -hmm. of their annual income, not their fortune, but their annual income in tax. That's pro, that now is down between 9% and zero. 
Well, that's because uh, and, nobody, and, and they, they don't have an income tax anymore because the very ultra-rich don't have income. They have assets and right. they have resources. So you can't tax their income, and that's one of the things that we haven't been able to make an adjustment in an understanding. In. If you look at how we did our state income tax, we eliminated the... Uh, we limited the short-term capital gains by from 15% to 4% and shifted the cost to the people in the, in the state income tax back in the day. And people wonder why their property tax went up. There's well, a straight that's... line between tax cuts, <laughs> this is, this income price... tax cuts for the rich, and an increase in your property tax. Thank you. And that is the cost shift from the federal to the state to the local, and that's what's happened in the state. And this is something I'm going to ask you back to talk about at another time, Brian. Brian, thank you so much for being with us on Let's Let's Talk About It. This, ladies and gentlemen, has been Brian Anderson. He is the Council for AFSCME Director for Legislative Affairs. And we're very, very pleased to have him to talk about a current event, uh, how we can manage our prison system to make sure that our prisoners come out and become productive citizens. Thank you so much, Brian. And we want to make sure that our corrections officers uh, don't get injured and that they get the kind of care that they need if they do get injured. So we appreciate you're here, we appreciate your work, and we appreciate the work of the corrections officers. Thanks so much for having me on, Susan, and thanks for the support you've given and uh, in, in trying to make our officers safe. Thanks for supporting their contracts to make sure that they have a decent pay, pension, and health care. Um, much appreciated. Okay. Well, we'll talk again. Have a great week, everybody, and look forward to another edition of Let's Talk About It.